Please be advised, nothing in this podcast should be taken as therapy, medical care, or mental health care advice. Topics discussed by the host and guests reflect their own personal experiences and are not intended to replace the services of medical or mental health professionals. And please know, if you are having any thoughts of self-harm or taking your own life, please call or text 988. Help is available 24-7. I'm Rick Schwartz, life coach, public speaker, and all-around curious guy. My curiosity, my life, and the lives of the many people I have worked with have taught me time and time again that there are challenges to overcome and successes to celebrate. You're listening to We All Have Something, a podcast about the human experience, a podcast about celebrating our authentic self. So let's get started. Hey, welcome to episode 16 of We All Have Something. We are plugging along here with season two. If you're new to this podcast, you might want to go back and check out season one from last year or the previous 15 episodes of season two that we've done. Right now, we are in the mix of it all where we're dropping new episodes every Tuesday morning, kind of alternating between having guests and just me kind of talking your ear off a little bit. And this particular episode is going to start off with a little bit of story time for you. So sit back and enjoy. We're going to kind of go back into my past of animal behavior and animal behavior studies, which is, believe it or not, where most of my education is rooted. But just let me take you back to my college years for a moment. One of the many interesting courses I took in college was an animal behavior class where we also were tasked with training an animal to do a series of behaviors. More specifically, we had to go out and get ourselves a rat from the pet store and then create, build, if you will, our own, not really rat maze, but more think of it as an obstacle course. There were some loose parameters on what we could and could not do and how it could be built, some of the materials we could use. But for the most part, there were multi-level obstacle courses that involved going through things, over things, under things. Sometimes some people were creative enough that the, the rat got into a little cart that was on a string and it kind of zipped line down to the next level. There were stairs, there were ladders, a pole to slide down, or any of the things you could possibly imagine that you could have a rat go through to then reach the end. And the idea of this all, to understand behavior, was to understand the fact that you could put a rat down in one of these obstacle courses and they wouldn't know what to do. Now, you could bait it with food along the way, but the, the goal here was to train the rat to be able to go through the obstacle course on its own accord, its own power, without anything from you other than setting it down at the beginning and it finds its way to the end successfully. There are, of course, opportunities for the rat to choose to get out of the obstacle course. It couldn't be completely enclosed. They had to have the opportunity to just stop or bail out if need be. So how does one train an animal to do an obstacle course if it's never seen it before, doesn't understand or know what these different things are, or that you could put this massive food reward at the bottom or the end, but how does it know it has to do these things to get there? Well, I think perhaps you might first approach it if you don't know a lot about you know training and behavior. You might think, well, at the first obstacle, I'll train it to do that first. And once we've done that, then I will move the reward to the next obstacle. So it has to figure out that obstacle. And then eventually we'll just do them all sort of that, you know, step by step, one, two, three, four, five. The challenge with that is if you have put a reward, let's say the first obstacle was to climb up a ladder to get to the top level of the obstacle course. You can easily bait that behavior and, and kind of bring it along with the food. Baiting being that you either leaving little bits of food on each rung of the ladder for it to go up and figure out, or to hold the food right in front of its mouth perhaps and, and so it realizes it gets to the top, it actually gets that food. The challenge is that as soon as the animal receives that food reward, you know, let's say it's a sunflower seed. Rats love sunflower seeds. It's high in fat, so it's a high reward, but it's not too filling. So you had a couple of training sessions you could do. 
when that reward is received at the top of the ladder, in the rat's mind, that is a spot where rewards happen. So my job is to climb the ladder and get there, and I'll wait there, and that's where a reward will show up. So then trying to convince the rat to do the ladder and then move on to the next one, well, you could potentially start baiting it and working with it to go to the next place for a reward. So now that's a new behavior, going from the top of the ladder, maybe across a, a nice like little balance beam, let's say, to get to the next obstacle. Well, you could eventually convince the rat that, yeah, you go to the other side of the balance beam, and there's something there also. But next time you put it at the bottom of the ladder, it's not going to do what we call chaining the behaviors together, meaning going up the ladder across the balance beam and then stopping for a reward. It's going to go up the ladder and go, okay, where's my reward? And you'll have to reward it there. And then it may or may not choose to go to the balance beam because the reward it receives at the top of the ladder is also just like the reward at the end of the balance beam. Ah, so Rick, what I need to do at the end of the balance beam, offer two sunflower seeds, a larger reward. Well, perhaps that's a possibility. Perhaps the volume increase of reward could be enough to convince the rat that once it's stopped at the top of the ladder to get its reward, it can go on to the next area to get two. But the goal, the challenge is you don't do anything as the animal does the obstacle course to receive its reward at the end. It must do it on its own accord. So you giving rewards at each at the end of each one, even if you're increasing a volume, and even if that does work in the rat's mind, won't actually get you the grade or the finished project. So what do you do? Well, you might have heard people talking about reverse engineering your goals, reverse engineering your business. This is what I want to do. So how do I backwards track down to where I am now to figure out the steps to get there? When it comes to training an obstacle course like this for these rats, it's the same concept. You start at the end. The reward is at the very end. Figure out how to do the last bit of the obstacle course. Let's say the last bit of the obstacle course is to swim across a little tank of water from one end to the other, and you get out, you shake off the water, and then boom, when you step on that pressure plate, you get out, all these seeds drop down, and you get a big reward plus a chunk of cheese. That's a pretty big deal. That's pretty cool. So now the rat knows I swim across the water, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I'll do it because the reward is huge and I'll survive. It's not very deep water. No big deal. Then the second to last behavior, let's say it is to do zigzag poles where you've set up some poles that are pencils and it has to kind of weave through them, going left at certain ones, right at other ones that weaves through before it gets to the water. The rat understands that I get through the water, I get this huge reward at the end. Now you can set it up at the beginning of the weave poles and start kind of showing it by baiting it through or however you might do it, that you might even start in the middle of the weave poles, at the very end of the weave poles, that the weave poles eventually lead to the water, which leads to reward. Oh, now the rat starts to figure it out. I go through these weave poles, I get to the water, which I may or may not like, but I'll put up with because there's a big reward at the end. And now let's say before the weave poles, the rat has to jump across an open space. So, okay, weave poles, water, big reward. Jumping across a big space might be kind of hard to do at first. So maybe you make it a small thing to step over and you slowly increase the space till eventually the rat actually has to jump. But it figures out when I jump, when I go across a small space or I'm jumping, I get to the weave poles, which leads to the water, which leads to the big reward. Aha! So now you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Well, we backtrack all the way to finally the last thing you train is the first behavior, and that's the ladder. Up the ladder, across the balance beam, a few other obstacles, make the jump, do the weave pulls, through the water, big reward. Now, if you try to convince the rat after you've trained all of these different things that after the big reward, after you've gotten what you wanted there, you need to now move on and do two more things. We've decided to expand the obstacle course, so we're going to put two more things after you get out of the water. We're also going to move the reward further away. What do you think the rat's going to do? The odds are, even if you train the next two or three behaviors, 
the rat is going to get to that spot at the end of the water and everything about location, about smell, about touch, the sensation of the water. I get out of the water, I shake off on the pressure plate, which drops open the canister of the big reward. This is where it happens. You could even take away the pressure plate. You could probably even open up where the rat can see it has to chew two more things and there's a big pile of stuff waiting for you. Psychologically, the rat's been conditioned that this is a spot something happens. And even if you've trained the next two behaviors, you'll probably see the rat is going to stall out and or stop altogether at that spot where the reward was. So you have to be very careful about how you place a reward, how you chain the behaviors together. Now, it doesn't mean they can't change. It doesn't mean you can't work with this rat over time to restructure and reposition. But time and time again, most often, you will see the rat at least pause, sniff and look around after the water and go, oh yeah, there's two more things to do. Because now it has become, this is the spot this happens. What's the point of sharing this story with you? Well, here's one more story that's much more recent. If you've been following my journey on social media, or you've been following along with other podcasts or my YouTube channel, you know that during the pandemic, like many people, I picked up a new hobby. I started running. Now, I had it in my mind that I couldn't run. I had bad knees from playing soccer as a kid, and they were always sore when I was working on my feet all day long. So I had convinced myself I couldn't. But I started the process very slowly, first a quarter mile, actually, I'm not going to lie, first an eighth of a mile. <laughs> and then I was winded, then a quarter of a mile, and slowly worked my way up to doing a 3K, or no, sorry, a 5K, which is three miles, and then even pushing myself further, surprised myself with a 10K. And it wasn't easy necessarily, but I kind of just kept going with it. I would take breaks when I needed to and kind of push through and do the thing. Then I decided, you know what? I'm doing a half marathon. I'm doing a half marathon. So I started training for this half marathon. And part of my training for the half marathon is I would purposely set it up that I had to run a hill at the very beginning of my run. I really want to push myself and really kind of, you know, just get through that hill. It's not a huge hill, but it's still a hill then I would make sure that I kept running for at least a mile before I would take a break. Because sometimes I would want to take a break a little earlier because I'd have to catch my breath. I had found in my route because I created the same route that I just, you know, I knew where the mile markers were. I knew then where I could take a break. I knew how far, much, how much further I had to go to make my eight miles and 10 miles and eventually 13 plus of the, of the half marathon. I found that every time, so it was, <laughs> in fact, I was saying, so my first mile marker was a mailbox in my neighborhood. After I'd go through this neighborhood and, and kind of run around a bit here and over there and then up this hill, I'd start working my way out to the trails because I love trail running. And there was a, a set of white mailboxes that were the mile marker for me, just given from where I started out my front door. I started to find that when I wanted to push myself, that I, I would try to push enough to run further than a mile before taking a break. I was, I couldn't for some reason. And I know the reason now I, in hindsight, but I would get to that mile marker where I initially had allowed myself to take a break. The first couple of times I was just running in general. And so now when I'm trying to expand my ability to run long distance, trying to change my behavior, trying to increase my, my habit to a new level, I couldn't. Every time I got to those mailboxes, I had to take a break. I, could, I would see those mailboxes and think to myself, okay, whew, almost there. I can take this break. I would feel my body change. My mind would change when I would even round the corner to see those mailboxes, much less when I actually approached them. And then I got to the point where I'm like, no, I need to, I need to go further. I'm going to go a mile and a quarter. Just a mile and a quarter. I can do this. And it, would, it was so hard. So then I started to think about it. You know, here, here I am, well-versed in animal behavior and human behavior, but not applying it to myself. Isn't that always the case? I decided that I would change where I started, that instead of going down my street and making a right and then another right, I'd go down my street, make a right and then a left. 
go up a half a block to a block, then turn around, come back down that half, half or that half a block to a block, and then continue on my normal course. And guess what? I was able to make it to the mailbox, which is just fine, but I hit a mile much earlier. And in that moment, I, I, rev- I kind of just, it all came back to me, the rat maze training behavior, all of that, that the end point becomes where the reward is that no matter what you do, that end point, you can keep adding on new behaviors beforehand. You can chain them ahead, but chaining them afterwards is much more challenging and still will have the rat probably stop there. I was the rat. (laughs) The mailboxes were my reward. So (laughs) I started to realize that I needed to change my route up front to add more length to my run that way. So when I got the mailboxes, I was easily running a mile and a quarter. I was easily running a mile and a half. I easily ran two miles before getting to those mailboxes. I also found too, of course, completely changing the route, going in a completely direction, not even going near the mailboxes, of course, allowed my brain to not have the habituated triggers to make this being the space where these things happen. So now you're thinking, okay, great stories, Rick. That's pretty interesting, but I don't see why you're doing a podcast episode other than it's sort of a curiosity. Well, this is how it might apply to you or somebody you know. One other aspect about animal behavior that we know is that location plays a big factor into behavior and stimulus response. Now, from a human aspect, you know my rewards are, well, Let's say you come home from work and you like to have a drink or you smoke or anything else, or you have a bag of chips or a snack in the middle of the day. The odds are that it is a location that you have created now that stimulates that response. Is it possible that when you're on vacation away from home, away from work, away from those locations and those triggers, that you don't need to have that bag of chips or that snack or that smoke or that beer or the wine or or any of that at that certain time? What it boils down to If you are ever in a point in your life where you're trying to make a change, you want to lose weight, you want to stop spending habits that aren't serving you, you want to start saving money, you want to have a better relationship with your family members or a friend, or there are certain things you want to do at work or ways you want to increase your ability to have a better career or maybe even change career paths altogether. Any of those or anything like those that you might have in your life We often look at, okay, what are the steps I need to take? And that is a big part of it. Oh, goodness, don't get me wrong. Understanding the steps you need to take, where you are now, where you're going to be, how are you going to make those steps, those action steps towards that end goal? Those are all very important. The idea behind all this and why I'm sharing this with you is I want you to recognize that sometimes it's not just about reestablishing how we're going about doing things. Sometimes it's not about doing something new. It's about changing what we've done in the past. It's about understanding where and what we're doing in that space. Are there certain stimulus that you have not even looked at? In my case, the mailbox, that are telling your brain that this is a spot or time of day that this happens. Therefore, you must do this. Or you can't do that. In my case, I couldn't get past the mailbox psychologically without just feeling overly exhausted. Even though I could easily run two miles, I found when I go a different route. What is it that might be holding you back? Well, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that make it hard for us to achieve the things we've set out to do. And I want you to recognize that this is not the only thing. I want you to look at this and go, maybe this is a factor. I want you to open your eyes and realize that your location sometimes is where the habit resides and therefore creates the stimulus, sometimes referred to as triggers, for you to do a certain behavior that then offers up a certain reward. Again, when we use these terms, reward for the brain, the chemistry that happens 
You know, I'll use uh, a drink as an example. If you drink alcohol to kind of take the edge off, you got the anxiety, the nerves from a high pressure job. So you take a you know, a beer or a wine or, or something after work, maybe two, and it feels good. You feel relaxed. You feel the edges off, and you don't have to worry about things. And it's kind of like ah. It's temporary. It's a Band-Aid covering the situation. It's not actually doing anything for your body chemistry to make you feel better. It's fooling you into doing it. And now you start to realize that. So now you want to change that. How can I start getting alcohol out of my life, or at least that time of day? And instead of going from two drinks every day after work plus weekends, I can go to just having a drink on the weekend just for the fun of it, or you know, I'm out with friends or out to dinner. But every time you get home, you have this overwhelming urge to do that. So what can you change in your behavior and your location? or change the routine and how you come home or when you come home, and therefore then start changing how your brain is perceiving what you do next. No, you just came home. You put your keys down here. You took your shoes off there. You pet the dog. You said hello to the kids or whatever version of your life. What is that routine then that sets you up to know? And it does it, does it happen on the drive home? Or does your, does your brain start to anticipate that big reward, like that rat, all I got to do is go swim through this water and there's going to be a giant reward there. All I got to do is drive home and there's that, that glass of wine. Do you need to take a different route home? Do you need to take two extra or five extra minutes for your drive home to take a different route to help mix up the stimulus? Maybe. I know it sounds odd and I know it sounds kind of weird, but these are the type of things you want to look at. If you've already started the process and finding it very hard that there's certain things that just trigger a certain response, and again, I said earlier that that word reward, it's not necessarily a rewarding behavior in the long run. You know, you, you, you want to kick the, the habit of drinking that alcohol. By the way, using alcohol, just as an example, if you are in the state of being alcoholic, you need more help than just this, but this could be part of it if you're just looking to change your habits and behaviors to better serve you. See, our habits that we have, they are good and they are bad habits. Some serve us well, some don't serve us well, but they all work the same way. There's a stimulus, there's an, a response to that stimulus, then there's a reward. Somewhere, somehow, we're getting rewarded by it. Even if it's just a reward that says, see, I told you, this is how it's going to happen. Sometimes that happens too. We reward ourselves in mysterious ways sometimes. But the idea behind sharing the story of the, the rat training, my own personal experience of recognizing myself, I need to do better with my, my running and the, how I was approaching that mailbox. I share this with you because it's the same concept around many other habits and things when we're trying to move our life forward. When we're trying to change our behaviors, we are conscious of what we want to do. We know that what we have been doing doesn't serve us, but we still fall into the routines and habits. So try mixing it up. Try mixing up your location. Try mixing up the, the way you lead into that. Try to recognize the stimulus that is creating you or the trigger that's creating you to want to do that behavior. And can you change the behavior to still get some sort of reward, but a reward that serves you better instead of the one that serves you wrong? If you are interested in this topic further, like you really want to do a deep dive into behavior and habit, there is a book out there I highly recommend. It is a, it's a thick book. It's a long read. There's a lot in there. This guy does a real deep dive, but it's some, it's some really rich stuff. It's called The Power of Habit, and I'll have it written down in the show notes as well. I'm not affiliated with it. I'm not getting any kickback for this. I just want you to know about this just in case it's something that you want to dive into further because it's really fascinating. And it's much more complex than what I just kind of covered here in this short episode, but it's worth looking into and, and paying attention to. But The Power of Habit, the author's name is Charles Duhigg. Again, Charles, last name Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G-G. -G. Again, I'll have this written out in the show notes below as well. 
it is a real deep dive into his experience of understanding habits. It's set up more for like the the high-powered entrepreneur sort of mindset, but I really believe the nuggets of information in there and understanding human behavior and habits is just a just it's just filled. It's a gold mine of information for you to look at yourself and see how can I set up for the things I want to do. I mean, you're listening to this podcast because you're looking to improve your life, that there's personal growth and development's important to you. So that's why I'm offering this. That's why I'm sharing this with you, letting you know about it, because this is something that I have applied. I've known for years, and sometimes, obviously, through my story about the running situation, I had to reapply and remind myself about. As we wrap up this episode, I want to remind you to please subscribe and make sure you check out next week's episode, a wonderful interview with my friend Jennifer Weigel. She's an amazing person, award-winning broadcast journalist in some high, high-profile positions, and she left it all because it wasn't serving her properly. It's a story of creating your transformation, leaving that job that everyone thinks, wow, it's amazing, it's awesome, but for you, not serving you well, and jumping into faith and believing that you can have a better life doing something that really serves you. Jen's got a great story, so tune in next week, next Tuesday, that drops first thing in the morning. And of course, if you'd like to get a hold of me, if you didn't know it already, go to CoachRickSchwartz.com. Again, that's CoachRickSchwartz.com. You can also find me on most social media, Coach Rick Schwartz, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even on TikTok, believe it or not. I'll have all of those links down below for you in the show notes, as well as Charles Duhigg's book title. Uh, I won't put a link for that because I don't want to be confused with some sort of affiliate thing. You can easily look that up wherever you purchase books. And my last request to you is if for any reason you have not left a review or stars yet, please do. That helps bump up this podcast and the algorithm to all the places it is played, allowing others who are looking for personal development and personal growth information to basically find it easier thanks to the algorithm. So with that, I will say what I always say. Well, let me actually say this. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate you. And now I'll say what I always say. Have a good one, everybody. 